sense his peace, just lean into him. So many people in the world crying out for peace, crying out for joy, crying out for a touch from God in their life. And really, those things are found in him. You know, draw near to him. Receive from him. Caught up in the answer, and sometimes forget to look at the answerer. Praise God. I could just sit here for a while and just sit in God's presence. something Tim said one time when he was praying caught my attention I I, I want to be in awe of you I am in awe of you Lord but I want to be even more in awe of you thank you for your peace Lord thank you for seeking to minister peace to your people this morning and I sense that there's there's people that uh, you know say how do I how do I how do I get a hold of that it's the same way you received salvation you believe that you receive it many people wondering how they can get what they need from God it's the same way that you believed that he saved you it's the same way you received Christ receive what you need from him There you go. Praise God. Lord, I ask that you touch this message today. Cause it to bear the kind of fruit that you desire it to bear in our hearts, Lord. Help us to hear what you're saying. Help us to get a hold of the truth that you want to get over to us. Because that is what's going to change things. It won't change me just trying to change my my habits in this life, me just deciding, oh, I'm just going to wake up earlier and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. No, it takes, it takes listening to what you said in the word and then living it because that's where your ability comes in to help us to do it. I thank you, Father, and praise you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. Let's, let's go ahead and open our Bibles and turn it over to Isaiah Chapter 55. Thank you, Becky. Really appreciate your ministry. I am way past Isaiah. There it is, Isaiah. 55, if you would. How are you all doing today? Are you doing better than when you, when you came in? Yeah, praise God. This is not a chapter we turn to a lot. But in here, there are a lot of famous words that you hear quoted quite a bit if you hang around the church long enough. Um, and actually, you know, you'll probably hear some of them in this passage we're going to read, but then beyond that, there's, you know, in the same chapter, 
uh, you'd be amazed. It's like, wow, I've heard that before. I've heard people say that before. And it's all through this chapter. There's a lot. And, uh, you know, so just to give you a heads up, I believe we'll be referring to this chapter in the coming weeks, you know, coming back to it and looking at it. But we're not going to be focusing on it or digging deep into it. But I believe God has us in a watering time, if you will, rather than a, like a pruning time or a deep, you know, uh, a rooting time or whatever. This is a watering time, I believe. So now go ahead and read verse 1. <clears throat> and uh, it, says, it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, if you remember in John 8, Jesus said these words, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And the word tells us he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, so, so here we have a very similar statement. It made in Isaiah 55, everyone who thirsts come to the waters, you who have no money, come by and eat. These, these words, when I take these words and I, take, and, I, and, I, and I hold them up to Jesus' words, they stir something up in me. They put an expectancy in my heart. And, you know, if you don't have an expectancy and you're sitting there, because I used to, you know, people would show up and talk about expectancy, and I'm like, I don't, I don't have that. What's wrong with me? You could stir up an expectancy in your heart. And so, you know, I mean, I've asked God before, Lord, you know, uh, give me a desire to be, ex- you know, expecting, you know, you could say. You know, you can ask him for that. He'll do that for you. And so it says, you who have no money, come by and eat. God is sending out then an open invitation. Imagine if you received a letter in the mail from Jesus himself inviting you to have dinner with him. And yet this is much more than that even. And we'll see that as we read a few verses more. But before we get to that, I want to draw your attention to the fact that God is addressing this to those who have no money. There is nothing that any of us have that God needs. It doesn't matter how materially wealthy a person is. If they have not answered God's invitation to come to the waters, God sees them as bankrupt. But even still, contained in this invitation, God says, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. How can you buy something if you have no money? Because there is still a cost if buying is involved. So what's the cost? People say that accepting Jesus is free. Salvation is free. You hear this. Well, in one sense, yes, Jesus paid the price for you to be saved. If you've said out loud, Jesus is your Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the debt of your sins that you committed is paid for, and you didn't have to work to earn that. And you are now free from the power of sin, which means through Jesus you could overcome and endure temptation to sin. You could call that actually your birthright as God's child. The ability to overcome sin in your life is your birthright. We all want to stay saved. Amen? Stay, stay abiding in Jesus. Live to please Him. Staying saved is not difficult. But in saying that, you can already see the cost, can't you? If I want to hold on to everything God has given me that I didn't have to pay for, I can't just act any way that I want to act. 
I can't just say anything that I want to say. My life is now bound up in Jesus' life. After God gives this wonderful invitation here, look what he says in verse 2. He says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. This is the difficult choice that every person on earth is, is faced with when we talk to them about Jesus. Our flesh wants to spend time and money on worldly pleasure. What, what God in this verse calls what is not bread and what does not satisfy. Worldly pleasure doesn't satisfy. It's no secret that they don't. They don't satisfy the soul. Drug addicts always need that next fix. People caught up in adultery always crave that next secret rendezvous. We've all seen movies about that master thief that wants to quit stealing, but he somehow always gets roped into that one last heist, right? And you could say that about any other worldly desire. God says those things do not satisfy. He says they are not bread. They have no substance. They can't sustain a person's soul. And God says, listen diligently to me. Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Remember, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's words, bread, listen diligent to, diligently to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely, you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So, you know, we, once again, you know, we talk about glory. We were talking about this this morning is God's glory. That is, because, is, again, people ask, what is, what is glory? What is that? That is the expression of God's excellence. We can't fully understand it. And at this time, we're not meant to. We know in part. But from, this, from, the, from that one part of his glory, we can say if it's the expression of his excellence, it's the outermost layer of the things that he does in the earth. He doesn't do anything bad in the earth. If it's the expression of his excellence, his goodness, that means that anything he does that people can see or experience is his glory. And then we talk about grace a lot. Well, grace is that, is that next level lower because grace, grace is getting good things that you don't deserve from God. Mercy is not getting bad things that you do deserve. And those, all, those fall under his glory as well. Because are not those things also expressions of his goodness, his excellence? Okay, so when he says, he, he says here, nation, a, a nation that you do not know shall, shall run to you, the, these nations will run to you. That is, that is talking about the Great Commission. And he says, they'll run to you because of the Lord your God, for he has glorified you. In other words, he expresses his excellence through us. And as a result, people come running to God and get saved. Okay, so 
that's a this is this is tied to the covenant. You know, his covenant. He said, "I'll make a covenant with you." That's that's Jesus. You know, Jesus brings us into covenant with God, and then of course after that, you see that's when people come and we go out and minister. We witness to people because that has to come after getting saved. Once you're once you're saved and you're you are now in covenant with God, the Great Commission flows out of that. It's connected to it. See, every, every, just about every time you see in the Word that God talks about covenant, there's always, it's always how you're also now going to turn around and affect the world. I mean, you look back with, at Abraham, and God said, all the, nat- all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This is, if you hold up your end, Abraham, as a result, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So even then, back, back then, God was, was uh, evangelistically minded, if you will. So what he's saying here is, you, you, you hang out with me long enough. You incline your ear. You listen to me. You, you, you satisfy your soul in abundance. And at some point, I will place my glory on you. And through you, many others will come to Jesus. And they will also buy wine and milk without money. And their soul will also be satisfied in me. And God will also make covenant with them. The sure mercies of David, he said. And I think it's important that God brought up David when he talked about this. David as God said, was a witness to the people. Well, now over here in the New Covenant, Jesus told us that we would be his witnesses in the earth. Okay, so if you want to know what a witness looks like, David is, is a reflection of a witness. He, he, he was a witness by example. God said in verse 4 that David was a leader and commander of the people. Let's go ahead and turn back a few books to 2 Samuel, if you would. The beginning of 2 Samuel. And that's uh, right before First Kings. I would tell you it's right after First Samuel, but that wouldn't help you much. Second Samuel. Usually, when we think of David, uh, the first thing that pops into our head is his battle with Goliath, right? So you understand, though, that that was a battle that was resolved very quickly. David was already prepared for that battle because of time he had spent with God. Um, but that, that was a battle that was resolved pretty quickly. And, and, you know, we've all experienced battles that seem to be more ongoing. And, uh, you know, you remember the story with David and Goliath. The King's, King Saul's army was locked at a stalemate with the Philistine army. The Philistine champion Goliath was, this giant, was strutting around, putting fear in the heart of God's people. And, you know, David's a te- just a teenager watching his father's flock until his father sends him out to Saul's army with some supplies. He was to go bring a supply to the people. And when David gets there, he sees the giant, and he's like, who's this guy? Who does this guy think he is, defying the armies of the living God? Of course, I'm paraphrasing. David faces the giant then, and, and, he get, and David, when he faced the giant, he gave God the credit for the victory before the battle was even decided. God will deliver me in, into, God will deliver you into my hands so that the, the, all the nations will know that there's a God in Israel, right? So God gives David the credit, or David gives God the credit, excuse me. And sure enough, God delivers the Philistine into David's hand, and he brings about a great victory. And I think many of us would liken that type of victory to winning the lottery, you know, even though it's not really how it was, but, we could, but people would liken it that way because a lot of people would see a lotto winner and think, man, they, they won big. Their problems are over. No. 
No, no, what has happened is, is now they have moved on to a different set of challenges. Anyone who has been promoted, especially by God, if you've been promoted just in the world, you, you know, you, uh, it's, it's like, okay, well, now I've got a whole new, now I've got to learn how to do this job. Now I've got a whole new, new set of challenges going along with this. But, people, but then people who have been promoted by God into things, uh, you know, you could, that's prob- the problems are probably more pronounced. And it's like, whoa, not only do I have to deal with these material things, I also got to deal with spiritual issues. You know, um, but if you, you, know, you read about David's life as a whole, you see that God anointed him to be king of Israel before he ever even fought Goliath. And even then, it was many years before he was crowned king because Saul kept trying to kill him. And I bring that up because even though Saul tried to kill David, David refused to ever harm Saul. Remember that phrase that God used back in Isaiah concerning the covenant? He said he would give us the sure mercies of David. What was David a witness of to the people? Well, mercy. He spared Saul's life when he had opportunity to kill Saul more than once. So David sowed mercy, and so he reaped a harvest of mercy in his life. Every time he messed up, he'd go to God. God forgive him. Show him mercy. You know, even if someone's out to get you, you can honor God by showing them mercy. That honors God. It doesn't mean that you let them get you. You can protect yourself without causing harm to them. That's what David did. He protected himself, didn't let Saul get him, but he also didn't harm Saul. It's possible. And doing that honors God's anointing. Now, as we get ready to read this uh, from this passage in 2 Samuel, actually, I forgot I was going to read that in the NLT. Uh, let me give a little background information so that we're all up to speed. Like I said, Saul had been trying to kill David. And uh, he, he, Saul then, reaped what he sowed. See, because David's, David's sowing mercy. Well, what's Saul sowing? Trying to kill him. So Saul then reaped what he sowed because God then put Saul into a position where David could have killed him. But David showed him mercy. And from there, Saul's situation went from bad to worse until he finally died in battle. And here we pick up with David when he gets the news of Saul's death. Like I said, I'm reading this out of the NLT, but it's 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, After the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites and spent two days in Ziklag. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's army camp. He had, he had torn his clothes and put dirt on his head to show that he was in mourning. He fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Where have you come from? David asked. I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. What happened? David demanded. Tell me how the battle went. The man replied, Our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are are dead, and Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. How do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead? David demanded of the young man. The man answered, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the enemy chariots and charioteers closing in on him. When he turned and saw me, he cried out for me to come to him. How can I help? I asked him. He responded, who are you? I am an Amalekite, I told him. Then he begged me, come over here and put me out of my misery, for I am in terrible pain and want to die. So I killed him, the Amalekite told David, for I knew he couldn't live. Then I took his crown and his armband, and I have brought them here to you, my lord. 
David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. Then David said to the young man who had brought the news, Where are you from? And he replied, I'm a foreigner, an Amalekite, who lives in your land. Why were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one? David asked. And then if you read on, you find that David executed the man because he, had, he said he killed Saul. Actually, the man lied about killing Saul. As we find out later, he figured that David would give him reward, so he was trying to get ahead by lying. But David said that this man had condemned himself because he had confessed that he killed the Lord's anointed. See, all those times that David had shown mercy to Saul, he was honoring the anointing that God had placed on Saul's life. And in doing that, by default, he wasn't trying to necessarily, but, but in doing that, he was also honoring the anointing that God had placed on his own life. And you say, well, what's that? What's the anointing? Well, I'm so glad you asked. The anointing is that part of God's grace that helps you, gives you aid to accomplish something. And you've probably experienced it in your life, not necessarily even known it. But you, you're, you're suddenly aware you, know, you, you, you have a problem or there's some kind of situation. I'm just giving, giving an example where all of a sudden it's like, wow, that was a lot easier than I, was, I expected. Or you, you met the problem knowing I know exactly how to deal with this. And you could feel, you could sense that presence of God that you're, you're cooperating with his anointing. And, that, and so that, that's the anointing at work in your life. Okay. All the kings in the Old Testament had to be anointed by God to be able to lead the people the way that God wanted them to be led. And there were and are different anointings. And you probably, I mean, you, you probably, since, I mean, there was an extremely strong anointing on, on Becky's piano playing this morning. That God is giving it success. You see, she's, she's just being faithful to go as she feels led, to, and God is giving it success. And it's like, man, that's so good. And people in the world don't understand the anointing, you know. I mean, we, we operate it, and, and, they're, and they're just like, wow, there's something different about you, you know. And uh, so, you know, in the Old Testament, then, I mean, there's, there's many, many anointings. We ought to be, you know, praying that it's like, it's like you know, Lord, I, I, need, I, need, that, uh, I, need, a, I need to be anointed to be a good husband. You know, I need to be anointed to be a good parent. You know, please help me with that. Well, now... Um, and then we also see in the Old Testament you had three anointings. The, you had the, the anointing for the king, the anointing for the high priest, the anointing for the prophet. That word anoint means to rub or smear oil all over a person or an object. And in the Old Testament they would break a flask of oil and pour it over the next king or the high priest or prophet by the direction of God as to who was to be anointed. The oil is just a symbol of God's spirit. It, it, it was a, a, a visual sign to the people that this person is God's anointed for this task. And, and you know, you weren't, you weren't supposed to try to operate in somebody else's anointing. The king, there, were, there were times in the Old Testament, you see, the king would get in trouble if he tried to operate in the high priest's anointing or the prophet's anointing. Happened to Saul. He, tried, he, tried to, he, he was supposed to wait for the prophet to show up to offer the offering before the battle. And, he, and he, 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 Samuel was late. So he looked around and saw his men were departing, and so he's like, okay, well, I'll just do the, I'll do the offering myself. And Samuel got there and said, that was foolish. Operating in somebody else's anointing is dangerous. But see, the oil itself is just oil. 
You know, it's, it's like when we anoint the sick with oil and pray over them, the prayer of faith. The oil itself is just a symbol of the anointing of God's spirit. It's God himself that brings the real power to change things. And we just receive by faith. But I wanted to take some time and talk about the anointing specifically, which is why the title of today's message is The Anointing in You. In you. God has put gifts and talents in you for you to be a blessing to others. And he has anointed you so that you can have good success in using those gifts and talents. And I told you before about the time that I was talking to a friend of mine, and he had accepted Jesus when we were growing up together, but somewhere he had gotten, uh, you know, where he wasn't doing a whole lot in his relationship with God, and he just was at a place he needed a reminder, you know. And one day we were driving off to a friend's house, and as we pulled in, I was turning off the engine, we were sort of wrapping up our conversation, and he suddenly lets out this sigh of frustration, like, Ugh. and he says, it just, you know, I'm like, what's up? You know, he says, well, it just bothers me when I see someone who needs help, and I don't have money to help them. And without skipping a beat, this boldness rose up in me, and I told him, that's because God has put the gift of giving in you, and he loves that about you. And he looked surprised, and I looked surprised, and that sort of just wrapped up that conversation. We were, we were done. You know, we, it was like, not much more to say now. But he was visibly moved that God would take time to put a gift into him. And not only that, but that God was pleased with the gift that he had put in him. And sure enough, he has the gift. But the anointing that accompanies the, that gift is what can give him good success at giving. And this is not something that we are unfamiliar with. This is not a concept that we... That's unknown to us. We all know someone that has a gift, and we can see that not only do they have a gift, but they know how to make the most out of that gift. We all have a person or, or persons in our life that can do something well, and as we watch them operate in that gift, they make it look easy. And then when we try to do it, we wonder, how come I can't, what? How come I can't do this the same way as that person? Well, maybe, maybe that's not our gift. It never works out when you try to operate in another person's gift or call. But that's a whole other teaching. My point that uh, I want us to see here is that God has established this principle. We can see that he has established it by, just by observing people around us who are gifted. And then we also see other people who recognize that they have a gift, but they aren't doing much with it. Or in some cases, they're not doing anything at all. Have you seen real-life examples of these things? Yeah, so let's get after this. Turn with me over to the New Testament, to 1 John, chapter 2. Question, John. Yes, ma'am. You have a question? Any, can you give a little bit more information on why you would bring in the crown and the armband? Well, the crown and the armband had to... In, 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 see, nowadays, people can, can text you and they can give you... Uh, it's, pretty, it's, it's a lot easier to furnish proof of things these days than it was in the old times. So... You had to, that's why the king would give somebody a signet ring. The question was, why, what's the significance of bringing the crown and the armband? Why did this young man do that? Well, he had to be able to prove that Saul was indeed dead. That's why. So he brings the crown and the armband to, this is, you know, you can recognize, you can see for yourself that this is Saul's crown and his armband. You know, but that's why in, the, in old times, you know, the king would, if he, if he gave somebody a message or he gave somebody some delegation to do something, he would give them, he'd take off the ring, he had a signet ring, take off the ring and give it to them so that when they went to wherever they were going, they could say, 
See this ring here? The king sent me to tell you to do this. And because of the ring, because they would say, well, what proof do you have that the king sent you? I have his ring. Okay, so we'll do it. See, that's that stamp of approval. That's that. This person is approved to do this. It doesn't mean that they're approved to do just whatever they want. They're approved to do what the king sent them to do. Anyway, that's just a... Um, and, you know, the anointing is very similar in that way, you know, because we see, we've seen, I mean, people get discouraged when they see a, a, a minister who's operating powerfully fall. They fall into sin, and people are like, they get so discouraged. And it's like, just because God, they were operating in anointing doesn't mean that that's God's stamp of approval on their entire life. They're just anointed to do this. And God's giving them time because of his grace to repent of whatever they've been doing. You see what I'm saying? God gives people time to repent. So that just because someone operates in an anointing and they, offer, uh, they operate powerfully doesn't mean that it's like this is God's man, this is God's woman, and everything that they do is right. No, it's not what that means. God's using them to accomplish a certain purpose. Okay, anyway, that answer your question? Yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> okay, so First John, and look with me in chapter 2, down at verse 20. He's writing this to the church. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So you have an anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One. If you've accepted Christ, you've got that anointing in you. Now, the Greek word translated know here, because I'll just address it where he says, you know all things. That Greek word translated know, it, it, it literally means see, to see or be aware it doesn't mean that you know all things in the sense that you don't need any instruction. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't have told us that God gave us teachers. Okay. What it means is, is that you don't need somebody over you that has to tell you how to run your life. Because you have an anointing. Later on, it talks about how the anointing teaches us. Okay. Because the anointing, the anointing must be cooperated with. Okay. So, uh, rather, you know, and, in this, and this passage is talking about not giving in to false teaching, if you read this whole passage. So, so, because of the anointing, you can see or be aware of all truth. Because the Holy Spirit's the one who brings the anointing, and he lives in you. You cooperate with him, he anoints you to do things. You know, what can God trust you with? Have you been faithful in other things? He give you more to do. But I brought you to this verse because I, want, I just wanted you to see in, in the word, in God's word, that if you belong to Jesus, you have an anointing from God. In other words, he is available to help you to use the gifts he has given you. Give you good success. Now, how much that anointing does in your life is really up to you. Because if you look at our earlier example in David, he operated in that kingly anointing from God for many years before he was actually physically crowned as king. One of the reasons Saul was so jealous of David was because David's anointing was so obvious. Where everywhere David turned, he cooperated with that anointing from God by being faithful. He was faithful to, to lead the people, to take them out, to lead them in battle. And God gave him good success everywhere he turned because of it. So Saul's jealous. He had constant success. And David also honored that anointing by always helping Saul in any way he could. You understand he was under Saul's authority. So he honored Saul's office as far as he could, even though Saul wasn't always doing things he was supposed to. So how far can I honor this man's office? You know, 
Even, even when Saul was out to get him, he was always looking for ways to help Saul. Even when he called Saul to account, it was for Saul's own good. Why are you chasing after me? You know, this, this, I, I haven't done anything. Even that is for Saul's good because if Saul had listened to him, Saul would have turned around and started acting the way a king should act. So, you know, say, why would, why would he seek to help the guy that wants him dead? David gave the answer himself. Saul is the Lord's anointed. And now over here in the New Covenant, we're all anointed. So we ought to be treating each other right. You know, and so, again, Saul, Saul, wasn't, Saul was <laughs> over David. David's trying to, trying to honor him as much as he could. So, you, you know, I mean, do we all have a, do we have a boss? that's difficult to get along with. Seek to honor the position that they hold as far as you can. David sought to help Saul, not just for Saul's sake, but because Saul was the leader of the people. Now Saul is an example of how to not cooperate with the anointing in our lives. He got himself into trouble because he wasn't obedient to God in some things. And as a result, God told him, I have rejected you from being king. And we usually get caught up in the next part of the story, you know, when we read it, where God sent Samuel to anoint David, because that's exciting. All right. Samuel's about, I always get excited. Samuel's about to go anoint David. This is going to be good. But then, then, then you think it's, you know, I think it's interesting. It's like, what, 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 was, what was Saul supposed to be doing during this time? Did God not imply you should step down? I've rejected you from being king. Don't try to act like the king anymore. Saul didn't do that. He kept on keeping on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that to me, then I, and I might be cir- circling a bit here because I, I might have got ahead of myself, but so, God never asked David if he wanted to be king. He just anointed, he called him and anointed him to do it. Just like he anointed you. God doesn't necessarily seek your counsel about what he, what he calls you to do. I've called you to be king. Okay, I guess I've got to be king. Or be disobedient and wind up in a whole other set of issues. So then, you know, after you respond to God, he chooses you, he puts an anointing on you to carry out the call on your life. And there's really no small calls in life. God called just calls a person to work at the car wash. How many of you know if they're, if, they're, if they're honoring that call and they're being a witness for Jesus, God can use a car wash to win a lot of people to Christ. So the station doesn't really matter as much as honoring the call, whatever call it is. And so we need to learn how to cooperate with that anointing by being faithful and obedient to what God says. Because what was Saul supposed to be doing? Again, what was he supposed to be doing? While David was being anointed, he was supposed to be stepping down. Kept, he just kept on trying to be king. Well, what's he doing now? Now he's trying to operate another man's anointing. Right? Well, you know, the flesh just always wants to do what the flesh wants to do. I mean, you know, it's just... God says not to do this, but I think I want to do it anyway. This is the direction that the flesh urges us in from a very early age. One of my teachers would talk about how he would buy some candy and he'd give it to his grandkids. And then while they're eating it, he'd say, can I, can I have a piece of that? Can I have a piece of that candy? 
And they look at him and say, no, no. And he says, and I'm the one that gave it to him. <laughs> See, Saul abused the anointing that God had given him. The, the, the thing that broke the last, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back with Saul was God gave him a specific assignment and Saul, Saul used the anointing that he had on his life to, 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 uh, to uh, defeat this nation that God had told him to go defeat, but then he didn't follow all of God's directions. That's an abuse of the anointing. You can abuse the anointing. You know, and uh, see... What's interesting about this is, is that God, God did, you know, in implying that you need to step down, is that not also an assignment? Part of an assignment? You know, there are, there are, there are certain actions that only certain offices can make. I can't just decide to do what a prophet does. That's not my office. It's the same with the office of an apostle. God has not called me to that office, so I can't just show up someplace, start calling myself an apostle, and expect God to anoint me to be successful there. Didn't call me there. How many of you know that I get myself into a lot of trouble if I try to do that? But if the last thing that God told Saul as king was, you are rejected from being king, that means the last act of his kingship should have been to abdicate from his kingship. Abdicate's just a fancy word that means to formally step down from being king. You know, it's kind of like a, a, a glorified version of quitting, but it's a formal acknowledgement, letting everyone know, I'm stepping down. And, it's not, and abdicating is not just something anybody can do. Different offices hold different, a different amount of honor or prestige or whatever you want to call it. You know, it would be ridiculous if a pastry chef decided... They want to quit their job, so they go to the head chef and say, I've decided to abdicate from this position. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. But if abdicating is something that is recognized as, as a thing that a king can do, that means that abdicating was something that fell within the boundaries of Saul's anointing. In other words, Saul was anointed to abdicate when God told him to, which means then that God would have helped him do that with grace. Could have been a lot different. See, cooperating with the anointing involves saying no to the flesh. God's anointing enables us to do great things for God, but that always means disappointing our flesh. It's like, if I do this for God, then I'm going to be disappointed because I won't be able to do this thing that I wanted to do. Well, if I want to do it, then I'm going to have to go ahead and disappoint my flesh. It's going to be disappointed. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And we think about all the miracles Jesus worked in his earthly ministry and imagine the anointing that was on him. That word Christ means anointed. But the cost of cooperating with that anointing was saying no to the flesh. You realize that what caused Jesus the most trouble in the Garden of Gethsemane right before the cross was his flesh? He didn't sin. He never sinned. But, he, but the word says he was tempted at every point like we are. He had flesh. It, it, because, because didn't Jesus pray in the Garden of the Father and say, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. 
Why? Because he knew this is going to hurt. This is not going to be a happy day. But in the end, what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. That's saying no to the flesh. That's disappointing the flesh. Sorry. But this is God's plan. And so we see that it's appropriate that we're talking about this right now because lately we've been talking about saying no to the flesh a lot. Living to please God instead of living to please ourselves. If you, if you have spent time lately in any Pentecostal circles, there's a big emphasis on the anointing. And frankly, there's a lot of misunderstanding going around because this is a neat subject. But if you've been tuning in to what we've been talking about with these last few weeks, you, sh- you should be ready to receive what I'm telling you. The anointing you have from God is free in one sense, in the sense that God has given it to you as his child. But on the other hand, the anointing in you and the call in your life are directly connected with one another. And the cost of walking in the fullness of the anointing is a consecrated life. Making a habit of saying no to the flesh because of the greater reward in God. That's what Jesus meant when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Don't do just whatever you feel like doing. Not that you can't delight in life. The word said, you know, when a man's ways please the Lord, you give him the desires of his heart. There's still many things to delight in. It's just the, the, the things that the flesh wants. God's not interested in that. Turn with me to Matthew 26. Take a breath and be cheerful, guys. The word says the anointing breaks the yoke, bondage. There's joy, peace in the anointing that you carry. And you could cooperate with it. All right. We're in Matthew chapter 26. I went way, past, way past that. I might have put a bookmark in there, but oh well. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, and when Jesus, see again, talking about the cost of the anointing. Okay, verse 6. When Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. When his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have, or you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So first of all, notice that the oil could do no good if it remained in the jar. It was being saved for a special occasion, but if there's something in me that would be helpful to you, God can't get that over to you if it stays in me. Talking about the cost. 
Paul talked about how his life was being poured out as a drink offering for the church. This is why we constantly come back into God's presence to be filled up again. Lord, fill me up so I can be poured out again. And then I'll come be filled up again. Being poured out is not always a pleasant experience. Especially when we're pouring into the life of someone we don't like. You want me to pray over who, Lord? There are people out there that don't like to be told to pray for the president. But the word says pray for leaders and all who are in authority. There are people that don't like to be told love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, and talking about how if it stays, if, the, if that anointing stays in me, I can't. I mean, there have been times that I felt led to pray for people and I didn't do it. Not necessarily because I didn't like them, but because I just didn't feel like it. Don't, don't feel like doing that, Lord. I'm in the middle of the grocery store. I'm tired. I had a long day. Don't feel like striking up a conversation. I failed to say no to the flesh, and I had to repent later. Well, what happened to the person that was supposed to get prayed for, I don't know. But God couldn't use me to help them because I wouldn't let him. The oil stayed in the jar. But when we yield to God, say no to pride or jealousy or anger or laziness or fear or the dozens of other fleshly things that can hinder us, we'll see that anointing we carry minister to people and God will change their lives through us. Remember, I will cause nations to run to you because of the glory I put upon you. The anointing in you is part of God's glory. Think about what this woman did what, and what it meant for Jesus. We don't think about that a lot of times. Jesus was always ministering to other people, but we don't think about when people ministered to him. He said, she's done a good work for me. In the NLT, he said, she has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial. She's done what she could. Because he, can't, he knows he's going to the cross. And he knows there's nothing going to stop that. She couldn't, she couldn't stop that. She couldn't do anything about it. But she could do one thing. She could anoint his body for burial. So she did what she could. She didn't even really know what she was doing. The disciples didn't fully understand what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about being crucified. But Jesus knew he was going to the cross. And what she did meant a lot to him where he was in that moment. I could see that it's like this. He knows he's going to the, to, to the cross. And he saw what she did as something very precious. He's like, this helped me. <laughs> but really, Jesus takes it personally when we bless anyone. Look back one page to chapter 25. Verse 34. Most people focus on the scary part of this, chat, of this passage. Jesus is talking about his kingdom here. Matthew 25, verse 34. It says, Then the king, this is Jesus speaking, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. 
inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger or take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So he takes it personally. You cooperate with the gifts that you have in your life that God put there to bless others, and you cooperate with the anointing that he has given you, and you bless the least of these in some way, because there's many different gifts, many different ways to bless people, then Jesus sees that as, thank you. That helped me. That ministered to me. Amen? Was this helpful to you today? Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the anointing. And we ask you to help us to honor it in our lives. To say, I will say no to the flesh. And I will say yes to doing what you desire me to do. To do what you have designed us to do. Each of us you have designed with great care. And much forethought. So I thank you, Father, for your design, each part of the body, joint together, working together to win people to Christ. And I thank you, Father, and I praise you. I ask that you bless everyone here, that you give them things to pray, give the people to minister to, and I thank you, Lord, and praise you, and in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you're all dismissed.